Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and everything in between. You've heard that shtick a thousand times. So go check it out if you haven't already. I swear to God, just go check it out. It's a great website. Do it after you finish listening to this episode or peruse some of the fantastic articles on there while listening. You can do either or. Now today I want to talk about vampires. Yes, vampires. It's something I've touched on a lot in my time on this podcast, and that's because they're really fascinating. However, we're not going to talk about some real-life vampire stories today, even though I'm sure that's what you really want to hear. Rather, we're going to look at who was the first true vampire in fictional literature. A lot of people think it's Dracula. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's somebody completely different. This is a story of Carmilla, the first lady of vampirism in literature. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Yes, for anybody born in the last 150 odd years, they all know the story of Dracula. Now, Bram Stoker wrote and published that book back in 1897, and it became a near-instant classic. Today, it's obviously referenced throughout the entire horror world and is used as the benchmark for measuring vampires in general, from folklore to literature to pure fiction, movies, whatever you want to think of. Generally going to think of Dracula. Now, it did bring vampires into the main stream. Popular culture ate Dracula up and then vampires became a thing and it's really really cool what Dracula did. However, he did not, he as in Dracula and Bram Stoker, did not actually create vampires in fiction. That distinguished honor goes to the novel called Carmilla and it was written by Irish horror writer Sheridan Le Fanu. And this was published in 1872, about 26 years before Dracula. Now, who is Carmilla? What is Carmilla? Have you ever heard of Carmilla? If you haven't, well, here we go. This is a story of Carmilla. Now, the story is of a lesbian vampiress. And she was something thoroughly new and exciting in European literature. And his publication cemented Le Fanu's career. But what is the historical background for the novel? Did the writer find inspiration in real, documented vampire cases? Well, maybe. We all know Dracula and Vlad the Impaler share some commonalities, so maybe. Maybe, just maybe, Carmilla shares a couple of traits with historical figures. Some people seem to cite that, yes, maybe even Carmilla was some inspiration to Bram Stoker and Dracula. The latter author, found inspiration in the novel by Sheridan Le Fanu and chose a historic ruler, the famed Vlad Dracul, who we've done an episode on, as the eponymous vampire count. Somewhat unjustly, Dracula kind of took the reins of the vampire world, leaving Carmilla a little bit in the dust, pretty underappreciated. Still, the two stories, although sharing the same concepts, are very different from one another. For example, Carmilla was a lesbian vampiress, whereas 
Dracula was a count in a big castle in Transylvania, and you know the tale. The biggest difference between the two, despite them both being revolutionary in their own ways, is that Carmelo is stylistically different. It's more of a classical representation of the gothic literature that was prevailing at the time. In terms of the horror genre and the setting, Carmilla is a classic. It is centered within a gloomy and eerie castle. A mysterious ambiance prevails and a supernatural, enigmatic being is the centerpiece. But other aspects within the novel were truly pioneering. Notably that the story revolves around a female, let alone a female vampire, named Carmilla who is romantically attracted to her victim, a young female protagonist called Laura. The story clearly involves themes of paranormal seduction and lesbianism which were really unheard of in the Victorian era. Through this story, Sheridan Le Fanu was attempting to dispel the negative perception of lesbianism at the time by portraying the mutual and irresistible attraction between the two ladies of the story, Laura and Carmilla. Following the publication of the novel, Numerous ladies felt a connection to these characters, finding in them a symbol of many Victoria Aaron women who were judged, restrained, and misunderstood. Even back in the day, we're talking, you know, 150 years ago at this point, women were seeking representation, and not just women, but people of the LGBTQ community were also looking for a hero within popular culture. And that rings true today, this being Pride Month and all, it's hard to look farther than your next-door neighbor who has the pride flag hanging outside their house or on their balcony. People want to have connections with their favorite characters, and this was kind of the start of that, or so it seems, in modern literature. That's not the only important factor, though. There were other aspects of Lefanu's story that featured independence of women and strong female protagonists, which again were very unheard of around this time. This setting worked towards dismissing the aged Victorian perspective of women being mere possessions of men who relied on men for guardianship and leadership and livelihood and all that sort of damsel in distress bullshit. What is more, the story portrays the male characters as somewhat opposite of the ideal Victorian era male. They're helpless, counterproductive, and, well, clueless. They are the damsels in distress in this novel. So I can imagine that was super popular at the time. Yeesh. Throughout most of the story, women are portrayed as equals of men, which was a huge step forward for the period. Now, of course, somebody has to take this step, and it looks like Le Fanu did take that back in the 1800s. Nevertheless, themes of lesbianism were by far the most radical in the novel. The vampirist Carmilla is sexually attracted to the young lady Laura, and the latter somewhat shares these sentiments as well. Remember, vampires are typically very seductive and exotic and even erotic to a point. Through Laura, Lafanu explores the concepts of same-sex attraction as the character is indecisive and questions her sexual orientation, being both, quote, attracted and repulsed, end quote, by the female vampire. The following excerpt from the novel perfectly describes her confused state of mind. It says, quote, I experienced a strange, tumultuous excitement that was pleasurable, ever and anon, mingled with a vague sense of fear and disgust. I was conscious of a love growing into adoration, and also of abhorrence, end quote. It's likely that Carmilla did not receive the same fame as Dracula because of its unique literary themes and unorthodox topics and theories. If published some 25 years later, Carmilla could have received the accolades it deserved. 
Dracula, which was more of a classic horror fictional narrative, gained the favor of the audience and is still widely translated and published anew well over a century after its initial release. Of Dracula, we know enough. The author took a historical figure and gave it the attributes of a vampire. Now, we all know that Vlad the Impaler was a terrible human being, but he was a very powerful ruler in his time. However, he was not a vampire, at least how we are aware of. Dun, dun, dun. Today, considered a national hero of Romania, however, Vlad the Impaler was well known as a capable ruler and military commander with a penchant for impaling Ottomans on stakes. Ass first, if I remember correctly, which sounds very unpleasant. This somewhat bloody and macabre medieval method of execution gave Vlad a fearsome reputation and ultimately led to Bram Stoker choosing this historical figure for his fictional bloodthirsty vampire. We asked a question at the very beginning of this podcast. Is there a historical background to Carmilla? Well, we'll find out in a second. Where did the inspiration actually come from for the story of Carmilla? Well, scholars agree that the writer likely consulted the written works of Dom Antoine Augustine Calmet, and particularly his 1746 work, Dissertations sur les apparitions des anguilles, des démons et des espérés, et sur les revenants et vampires des Hongrie, des Bohèmes, des Morives et des Cicelles. I'm sorry for the butchering of all that, I tried. However, that translates roughly into dissertations on the apparitions of angels, of demons, and spirits on the revenants of vampires of Hungary, Bohemia, Moravia, and Silesia. There, I should have read that, but hey, I tried to do my French. Give me a break. This was one of the earliest scholarly works dealing with vampires and vampirism, exploring the topic in detail and presenting various theories on the matter. Dom Calmet wrote some 20 years after some of the first meticulously documented vampire cases and helped spread the popularity of the vampire as a novelty subject. Dom Calmet, when writing about vampires, explores some of the popular and contemporary cases. These include the 1726 case of the Serbian vampire Arnaud Pavel and the 1732 case of a vampire in Hungary. These cases were arguably the first to bring the term vampire to a wider European audience. Now, the word vampire itself is a Serbian word of Slavic origin and was borrowed into the Hungarian, then Austrian, and finally English languages. And true to this, almost all the early cases of vampires were documented in Serbia, where even today there's a widespread belief in the existence of vampires, especially in rural communities. Now, one of the episodes that we talked about vampires in the way, way back past was that they would bury coffins in iron cages so that if somebody did come back from the dead, they weren't able to escape and would essentially be trapped in their dirtish tomb forever. In 1726, Austrian authorities investigated a possible case of vampirism. It was connected with a deceased Hajduk, a brigand freedom fighter leader, the one and only Arnaud Pavel, who perished in 1726 and reportedly returned to haunt his relatives and the inhabitants of his village. At this time, vampirism was a commonplace occurrence and a belief in rural Serbia, where numerous pre-Christian early medieval heathen superstitions and beliefs were still kept very much alive. Like in all Serbian vampire stories, the deceased person returns to life shortly after burial and vividly haunts 
its relatives. The person either asks for food, water, or clothing, pesters the living, and supposedly curses them, making them ill, and finally causes their death. Now, the story of Arno Pavel basically sums up the superstitions and the stereotypes you see in modern vampire lore, and it's very possible that Sheridan Le Fanu read these detailed descriptions made by the Austrian officials and used them within his story. Notable aspects of the story of Arno Pavel that share similarity with Le Fanu's work are that of a young teenage girl from the village. Austrian reports tell of a young 20-year-old girl that was in perfect health but suddenly awoke in the middle of the night, sweaty and trembling, uttering shrieks of full of fear. She reported that a vampire visited her that night, trying to strangle her. The incident repeated in the following night, and the girl was dead three days later. A similar case was reported in 1725, also in Serbia, where a man called Peter Blagjevic returned as a vampire to haunt his village and family, causing several deaths in a short amount of time. The Austrian officials witnessed his exhumation as well, and upon his disinternment, the cadaver was perfectly preserved with freshly grown nails, hair, and a beard. There was also blood flowing through his veins and blood in his mouth. Naturally, the villagers staked it, seeing blood flow profusely from the orifices, after which they beheaded and burned it, ending the plague. These two stories were published to a wide audience, leading to the famed vampire craze that spread through Europe, ultimately serving as a source of inspiration for a horror fiction author, such as maybe Bram Stoker or even Sheridan Le Fanu. Still, if we observe the possible inspirations from literary sources, we can still see that Sheridan Le Fanu could have been inspired by his preceding colleagues. One of the first female vampire characters in fiction preceded Carmilla by almost 70 years. In Robert Southey's 1801 epic poem called the Thalaba the Destroyer, the main protagonist faces the vampire of his deceased wife, Wanesia. After his wife dies, her body returns to haunt him in the form of a vampire. Thalaba manages to kill it. In fact, in this epic poem that a long list of annotations let us know the detail of the historic aspects of vampires. Robert Southey clearly cites Don Calumet's 1746 dissertation preceding the writing of Carmilla by many, many years. Still, his epic poem was not as well received and was very obscure for the time. Now, whoever actually is credited with creating vampires in fiction there's one thing that is certain about both of these authors, both Sheridan and Stoker, and that is they are both pioneers of early horror fiction. It doesn't matter who drew inspiration from whom, the fact of the matter is, these two authors changed horror forever, and they also changed how vampires were seen in modern fiction as well. Now, of course, things have evolved in the past 150-odd years, but that doesn't mean these two didn't play a massive role in one of the most beloved fictional forms of the undead we know today. But let me know, have you ever read Carmilla? Have you ever actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula? If you've read both, which one did you like more? I want to hear from you. I want to know the differences. I haven't read either. I know, shame, shame. Dracula's always been on my bucket list to read, and I will get to it one day, and now I have another one to add in Carmilla as well. So let me know, what one do you like better if you've read either or both, or just one? 
But that's all I got for you today. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. You can also still leave a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and any five-star rating or review will be mentioned on the show, so it's a great way to get a shout-out if that's something that interests you. Also, don't be afraid to look me up on social media, on Instagram, at OminousOriginsPod, on Twitter, at HorrorShotsProd is in production, or on Facebook, at HorrorShots. Hit me up anywhere, I'd love to chat with you guys. Until next time.